Evangelical Presbyterian Church. If you were here last month when we played, our prelude in the morning was a hymn. Uh, we're going to do the same thing again today. It's Come Christians, Join to Sing. Words will be up above. And our praise team is going to be singing with you. We have a four measure intro, and then I'll nod at them, and you'll know it's time to sing. You do not have to stand up, just enjoy the hymn. Welcome again, everybody, and thank you, Candy and the Bells, for leading us in worship this morning. Appreciate that. Um, I'm Pastor Bruce. Welcome, everybody, and online. Welcome to all of you as well, and what a beautiful day we have. This is uh, what we're, we've never called it before, but it's Taco Sunday. Uh, never had a Taco Sunday before. Always had barbecues and the like, uh, but that's how it worked out, and so we've got a taco bar ready down waiting for us in the fellowship hall in this direction. So after worship, we hope that you'll come on down and have lunch together and enjoy each other's company and have tacos. You make it your way. So if you've got any allergy issues, you just put on there what you want and eat as you wish, and it should be a lot of fun. So uh, come on down afterwards. We welcome you. We'd like to begin then with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord God, hallelujah, amen, we've come to worship you. We thank you, Father, for your almighty power, your authority, the peace that you give us in Christ Jesus, our righteousness, Lord God, you've declared through the grace that you've given us in our Lord and our Savior, Jesus. Thank you, Father, that we can come into your house to worship you. Thank you, Lord, that we are your children, sons and daughters, adopted by your grace into one wonderful family. 
Thank you, Lord, for our siblings worldwide. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you, Father, for all the benefit that you've given us in Christ. It's a wonderful gift, and we thank you and praise you today and every day. May our will be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand.
Lord, your forgiveness, Father, is so awesome. Lord, thank you for that unending grace, that grace that you give so freely. And we just thank you, Father, that we can come here this morning and take this time to thank you, to thank you for all you've done for us. Thank you, Lord. This is a new song. It's called This Is My Song. <laughs> the cool thing about it is it takes lyrics from old hymns and it's put it into a new song. So you'll, you'll recognize... In fact, it'd be interesting if someone kept track of how many hymns that was represented in the song. <laughs> anyway, let's go. Let's give it a try.
Heavenly Father, God, it is because you live that we have eternal life. And Lord God, that life is right now. Thank you so much that you've delivered us from the darkness and brought us into your marvelous light. Lord God, the truth, that's what we're talking about, the truth of Christ, the truth of your word. Lord, we thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit that brings into our very being holiness. Thank you, Lord, that through Christ Jesus and by your grace, you declare us right, righteous people. We know, Lord God, that we are a work in progress. We know, Lord God, that we don't love you as fully as we ought, and we don't love each other as much as we ought. But Lord God, thank you so much that your grace is greater than any shortcomings and failures and sins. Thank you so much that we are your children, that we are truly a family in Christ Jesus. And we thank you, God, for your tremendous blessings and the hope that only Christ can bring and that we have received from your hand. God, thank you. May we carry that message, Lord, into the world around us, a world that struggles for identity, a world struggling with crime, a world struggling with policies, a world struggling with just self-worth and who they truly are and how we're connected and who we should be. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit sweep this land with the gospel of Jesus Christ and may more and more people receive and believe that good, wonderful, beautiful news. Lord, thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. We'd like to read aloud together as we do on Communion Sunday, the Apostles' Creed. It's a, a collection that developed over the years, long ago, and uh, sort of encapsulates essential components of our faith in general. Obviously not everything, but it's, a lot is in there, and we'd like to read this aloud as a confession of our faith together. I believe, I believe in God, the Father, the Father Almighty, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into Hades, and the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We'd like to invite the kids, to the youth, to stay here in the sanctuary for just a little bit longer. The bells are going to play another uh, worship piece for us, and then they'll be heading down the hallway with Sunday school and youth group. Tower Bells are going to play a piece called Reverie in G Minor by Pam McGee. Uh, this song I first, back when I started bell choirs in 1979, um, Bev Seifert was our organist, choir director, etc. I even talked her into directing bells for a few years, but then she gave it back. Um, anyway, the two of us went in the summer of 1980 down to California to a music conference, which I'd never been to one before. And she did the choir part and I did the bell part. This was a piece that we played there. 
And it was, the reason I remember the date is because Mount St. Helens blew up in May and then we drove down there in the summer. But anyway, this is Reverie in G minor and it's been one of my favorite, I pull it out every once in a while, but this has been one of my favorite pieces to play. Very much. The kids are free to head down the hallway now for Sunday school and youth group. Thank you for being here and participating. It's wonderful. I'd like to invite the rest of us to turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 6. 
it's kind of, it's always, it's always fun for me preparing for messages through Romans because there's so many famous verses that so many of us have probably memorized or are very familiar with. Chapter 6 is one of those chapters that has some of those very loaded moments in there that stand out in my mind along with other parts like first chapter 1, 16, 17 or in chapter 5, you know, at just the right time Christ died for us, the ungodly people and all that. Just some powerful, powerful moments that leap off the page. At the close in the 23rd verse in this portion of the gospel of, that presented here in Romans is another famous passage that's often memorized by many of us, but maybe we're not familiar with the context from which it springs. So this morning we want to look more closely at chapter 6, uh, the verses 15 to 23, as we finish out chapter 6. What then, Paul writes, shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't we know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you're slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness." I put this in human terms because you're weak in your natural selves, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. Now you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this tremendous passage that reminds us who we willingly serve. Lord God, we thank you that you've called us to believe. You've given us the faith to believe in Christ. You've saved us from the consequences of our sins. You've blessed us with eternal life. Lord, help us to recognize anew and appreciate again the wonderful grace that is a gift to us and that we have been liberated from the bondage of the world around us. Lord God, we know it's easy to slip backwards. We pray, Lord, now that we will take a step forward and step with your Holy Spirit and the truth of your word, that we would renew our minds and walk the way Jesus would want us to live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, the background for this follows another one of those pieces where what should we go on sinning so that grace can increase? And you know what I'm going to say. Great Scott, no! And, and it's, it's an emotional reaction. He's not just saying it academically like, you know, are we going to sin so grace can increase? Ah, no. Instead, he's dumbfounded that anybody would imagine that sinning in any way, shape, or form pleases God. See, the, the odd idea came about that if you sin, God got more glory for being more gracious. 
So go out and sin even more to give God more glory. And Paul says, that's crazy. He could pull his hair out. It drives him insane. So he says, by no means. It's, it's from the gut. That's how strongly he feels. Now, in the second part, he goes right back to that emotional reaction to a false understanding of grace and righteousness and whose we are and who we are. And so he starts off with his concern that, again, people will misconstrue what he meant in the preceding verse in 14 in the last Sunday sermon as it closed, that we're people of grace and not under the law. And so he goes on to say, what then? Shall we sin? This is Paul's concern, point one in your outlines. Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? And, I, and you may not realize it, but there's a second, great Scott knew he's still really wound up. This is very upsetting to him that anybody would misconstrue what he's saying. We're under grace, yes, but that doesn't mean that we can just sin cavalierly like, praise the Lord, we're saved now. Let's go on and sow our wild oats and live like crazy and abuse ourselves and people around us. Let's not bother loving God and loving our neighbor. Let's just live into the world and satisfy our personal interests and desires and pleasures and we're covered in grace. And every time we come back to worship God on Sundays, we're really thankful for grace even more. And Paul is very disturbed that somebody would take the grace of God and use that as an excuse or a rationalization to sin. And that's what's upsetting him so much. He's afraid and concerned that people will misunderstand the wonder of grace and abuse it, such a privilege. So it's a slightly different concern. Basically, it's, it's more generic, and he's saying, should we sin? Should we sin? Like there's an opportunity for us that's okay. And he's saying, definitely not. But what is sin anyway? Um, some people maybe don't know what sin is. Sin in its, in its essence is pretty straightforward. It's this. It's anything that's missing a definite goal. Missing a definite goal. In Greek literature, outside the Bible, it means anything from a defect in our being or a capital crime, anything terrible in between, this is all called sin in Greek literature. So it's a very generic term. But in a biblical worldview, it's anything that would be unholy or not of God. That would be sin. That's the goal that's missed. It means that we either unintentionally did something we didn't realize we were sinning. We didn't know that it was a problem and that God would be offended by this. Or we didn't know that we were twisting the truth. We'd taken something we'd heard as like the truth and we've run with it and we found out later that wasn't really biblically right. So that's been twisted. That's an iniquity. Or maybe we knew very well what we shouldn't do, but we did it anyway. And that's called a transgression to cross that line that we know exists. Any of those things depart from God's holiness. And so Paul says, do you really want to twist the truth? Do you really want to live in an ignorant state of mind that you can just pretend you're not sinning and, and not know that you are and not care? Or do you want to know where the truth is, but you're going to jump over that line anyway and do what you want, even though you know it's an offense to God? He says, is that what we want to do as children of our Heavenly Father? And again, he's very emotional. He says, I, I can't get my head around that. It's crazy thinking. And that's what he's conveying to us and to the church in Rome at the time. And that behavior is incurable 
We can't not behave that way without Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit in us that helps motivate us, that moves us internally to honor God. There's no sense in trying to coerce people into Christian behavior if there's no internal transformation of the Spirit. Because do you like being coerced? I react to that. Parents can coerce their kids because they're parents. You will not eat dessert before we have dinner, right? Don't. Put that back. You'll eat it later. Okay. That's pressure. That's outside pressure. Does the kid want to eat the dessert first? Yes. Is he allowed to? No. That's parenting. We don't like being parented. But if there's an internal motivation, a love of God that exists in our heart, then there's a movement. We're freed from that self-centered interest, and now we have another's interest in our lives, and that's God. And so from the inside out, that's how it really works to transform a life. Not the outside in, but the inside out. And that's what Paul is referring to, that because of Jesus Christ, we have a new relationship with sin because we have a new relationship with Christ. It changes everything. Bonhoeffer, who I'll refer to at the end of the sermon, Bonhoeffer uh, made a statement about this kind of attitude about God's grace. He called it cheap grace. There is no real value in our hearts about the power of grace to forgive us our sins. If grace is greater than our sins, then let's appreciate it. If we think, grace is great, I'm saved, I've got my ticket, it's like running up my visa card with no limit and I never have to pay for it. Right? It's an abuse of a privilege. So he called that cheap grace. And there's no such thing as cheap grace. It's an imagination in our hearts if we abuse it and we don't value it and we don't love God like we can because the Spirit lies within us. John 8, 34 to 36, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, this is good, isn't it? You'll be free indeed. If the son sets you free, that internal transformation, then you're free from that, not just the lure of sin, but the control of it. That desire that's self-centered. Now you, you're a child of God. And that internal movement transforms your life, your thinking, you're in Christ, immersed, all in, totally into Christ. That's really your identity and mine. And so Jesus says, hey, if I set you free, you're not a prisoner of sin anymore. You're liberated. You're redeemed. He paid the price. You're now free to live for God. And that internalized belief and understanding moves us to honor God and not sin. One of the things that really means a lot to me is that even though Paul uses the, the words of slavery, it's just an analogy. It's not that we're literally slaves of God. Jesus said we're his friends. The Father adopts us as sons and daughters. That's not slavery. He's just simply referring to slavery as a willful choice on our part to whom we will belong. 80% of the Roman Empire had known slavery in their lives. Did you know that? 
And it was done voluntarily many times. You, you couldn't eat and support your family. Well, then you indentured yourself. You became a slave willingly to someone who could provide for you and your family. And it was for a period of time. Or you owed a debt and you worked it off by working for them. Uh, this was an intentional slavery, not a slavery of our southern history here in our country. That's what usually affects our thinking in this regard. Slavery was sometimes very onerous and very difficult and very disastrous, but most of the people, especially the Romans that are Christians in receiving this letter, knew what slavery really was all about. Willingly giving yourself to a master. And what he's saying in this letter here is, before you came to Jesus Christ, you had one will only. And that was to be self-centered and do what the world offers. This is a pleasure. Do this. Grab that. You want to participate in this. Don't bother doing that. This is better. Drink, drug, be happy, marry, you know, tomorrow we die kind of thing. That was the only choice the people had. Now, Paul says when you've come into faith in Jesus Christ, you have more options. But you're internally moved to love God and to do what God wants you to do. In other words, do you lose your freedom when you come to Christ? You have more freedom. Can you sin like you used to before you came to Christ? Oh, yes. You can because you willingly choose. But you can also then live for Christ. The world can't do that. Who has more freedom? When the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. Not free to sin, though, and that's Paul's point. You could because grace will cover your sins. But that would be cheap grace if we didn't really value what it cost Christ to make us right with God. So what's our consideration? That's the second point. Verse 16, don't you know, don't you know that when you offer, see the voluntary nature of this? When you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey. But that's a willingness, a desire in our hearts to do this. Whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now, being obedient and legalistic isn't what's going to make us right with God, right? That's what he said last Sunday. He said our righteousness, or in the previous Sundays, the righteousness of God is declared by God and given to us by grace, not by works. But what he's emphasizing here is You've got a choice to make, you Christians in Rome and here in the congregation in our own lives, right, today. Willingly, will we serve sin or will we serve the Lord? Will we take advantage and minimize the power of God's grace or take it for granted or will we really honor and cherish the gift that we've been given in life and eternal life? It's a choice that he says we should make. And when he says, don't you know, what he's saying is, well, surely you do know. It's a rhetorical question that they're all very well aware of. Don't you realize? Yes, they do. I think sometimes the struggle we have as Christians is that there's a separation between the intellect and our emotions. The brain has a powerful desire to, be, uh, to seek pleasure. That's a powerful element in our minds. And when our head with knowledge of Scripture says, this is the right thing to do, 
But the pleasure center of our brain says, but I don't know if that's pleasurable or not. I haven't done that before. I'm not sure I want to give up what the world offers, so I want to continue in the ways of the world because I know that there's a short-term pleasure involved. Well, what that does is it creates confusion. You might say to somebody, I don't know why I did that. I don't know why I said that. I never meant to do that. I never meant to go there. And you, you, it's kind of this fog settles in. Now, if somebody says, well, didn't you know better? The answer is usually, yes, I knew better. But what got us out of sorts and what led us into sin is a lure or an attraction. Sin is attractive, let's face it. If it wasn't attractive, who would? Right? So there's an attraction. There's a short-term pleasure center. There's, an, there's a part of our brain that's wired, and it pulls us in that direction, and our head says no, but our heart says yes. And then we're confused, and we're, we can't explain ourselves, and it makes no sense to us, and it makes no sense to others, and it makes no sense to Paul. And he's saying you're really not a slave to that passion. You can trust the Lord to really bring you peace. You don't have to turn to those substitutes and approximations of that. You've got the real peace of Christ Jesus in your heart. Offer yourselves. Key words, offer yourselves. It's a choice, he says. Come on, you Roman Christians. What choices are you going to continue to make? The world around you, the vast majority of the world around you is behaving in this way, and they really have no choice. They're self-centered. They don't know any other difference. You, on the other hand, do know. You ought to know, and I'm sure you do. This goodness from God is really where you're going to feel good. It feels good to feel good, and that is the shalom peace that Christ brings. Go there. Trust it. Be willing. Serve. Don't become mastered again by sin. Isn't that insanity? You're set free from that. Why go back under that authority and get caught up in it? He says, get loose from that. Don't let that control you because you are under Christ, not under sin. That's grace. This is his point. Now, a false belief is that maybe we're sort of free and, and maybe we can sin and then maybe we need to please God again and we can lose our salvation and now we're on the outs with God. But Second Peter says something really interesting about the nature that we had before we came to Christ. Let's look at what he says about our alternatives before we come to Jesus. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. You're going to be self-centered before you become God-centered. We are all self-centered. We're all in that dark spot. We're all caught up in our own interests and self-centered desires. Then you come to faith in Jesus Christ, and you find out that there's a new desire that awakens in your heart. And all that other stuff is like, you can be like Teflon, because God has got you where he needs you to be in Christ. And, and at first, maybe when you come to faith in Jesus, it's so fresh and so wonderful and it's so liberating, and it's like, wow, this is so um, awesome. I'm forgiven and then as time goes by, maybe we forget where we were and 
where we are today and we take it for granted and we maybe go on with the world and we try and embrace both worlds at the same time and Paul says you cannot do that because that's the old self. Look at the comparison now with the new self. First John puts it this way. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning. Now let's we'll look at that in a minute. Because he's been born of God. This is how we know who our children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. Nor is anyone who does not love his brother. So let's think about this for a minute. Is there any Christian you know who is incapable of sinning? So maybe either there's no Christians on the planet or we've misunderstood what John says. What John is telling us is that you will not be the person that celebrates, promotes, and participates in sin willingly and knowingly and embraces it. You put yourself into that service to sin and you live there. It becomes your identity. When you were baptized into Christ, which was last Sunday's message, you were all in Christ, all in, immersed in. Your identity changed. We baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What that tells us is you have a name change. You now belong to the Lord. And so when we read this, you can't go on sinning, meaning your identity has changed. Can you fall short? James says, a perfect, if you can control your tongue, you're a perfect person. My tongue, at times, has proven to be uncontrollable. In those moments, have I lost my salvation? No, because grace is greater than my tongue. And I don't want to keep using my tongue in that way like I don't care. A Christian cares because there's the Holy Spirit in us that says, Wake up. That hurt. Hurt you? Hurt them? Sin is messy. Back off. And then what does a Christian who has been born again do? You confess to the Father, I've sinned. And you repent and you turn back to your eyes on Jesus, right? Now the world can't do that. The world cannot do that. It is not motivated to do that. But when you're born from above, your identity has changed. You will not live like that. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit, and a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. In other words, your identity cannot be opposite of who you truly are. And that's what Paul and all the scriptures are saying as well. So to me, when I read this, I'm looking at this and saying, remember who I am, and remember whose I am. And you've got to trust Jesus to meet those pleasure needs that your brain desires. Sometimes it takes a while and you've got to let go of the things you've really counted on and trust God to supply those needs. And that's a big challenge. And that's partly what I was talking to Dominic Saturday after Bible study. That's what Teen Challenge is doing with those that are hung up in addictions of various kinds that are willing to come forward and say, this has not worked out for me. This is not a pleasurable outcome. I sense destruction I could die from this if I keep going this way. My relationships are being upended. Everything in my life is turning out disastrously. Even though my brain craves that pleasure, 
I've got to realize I need to stop. And the only answer through Teen Challenge is Jesus. Not a mechanism, not pull yourself up by your bootstraps, not a willful determination, because you're still a slave to sin. You're mastered by it. Christ Jesus sets you free. That's the real key. Now, our slavery, third point. Verses 17 to 18. But thanks be to God. See where the gratitude comes? That though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Now again, we're not literally slaves of God. We're children of the Heavenly Father. We're sons and daughters in Christ. Jesus says we're friends. But the point being, there's a willingness. And they understand the analogy of slavery and the willingness involved to serve. And there's a point being made that, first of all, thank God we used to be here in slavery to sin. And thank you, Lord, that you've redeemed us. You've paid the price. Christ died on the cross that we could now be liberated. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're free. Now, the slavery he mentions to God is our willingness then to apply ourselves to be in Christ, to be living for Jesus, to let the Holy Spirit move and transform us, to cooperate with the work of God. There really is no gray zone. It's not like somebody's in the neutral area there and they'll choose to either be a sinner or they'll choose to be living in righteousness, obeying Christ. There's no in-between. It's either in the dark or in the light. It's either in mastery of sin or in the master's hands. Who we are in Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible says. And so we need to make those decisions. And what's interesting, there's a lot of good stuff hiding in those two verses that can be easily zipped past. But I found something really interesting. Paul is thanking God for God's grace. The word thanks is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S in Greek. Charis is the same word as grace. He's basically saying, if you want to translate it differently, and it sounds awkward, that's why it's thanks, but grace be to God. Well, it's God's grace that does this. And then not only that, but the phrases have been set free from sin, we didn't do that. We did not free ourselves from sin. It's passive. God freed us from sin. In other words, don't think that now you're going to leave church today and I'm stealing myself and I am not going to sin like that anymore and I'm, I've just made up my mind and I'm going to willingly obey God. You're, you're doomed. It's not on you to make it happen. God already made it happen. Our responsibility is to receive it and believe it and live it out. That's who we are. We are, in fact, set free. Not our achievement. God did it already. Thank you, God. And then there's another passive part. We've become slaves to righteousness. That also is not ours that we've accomplished. We can't do that. It's passive again. God not only set us free from slavery to sin, God is the one that allowed us and permitted us and brought us into slavery to righteousness. God did it. 
Can I break loose from sin without Jesus? No. But God can do it. Can I live then in obedience to everything Christ taught me? Not on my own I can't, but God says, I've already given you a standing of righteousness. Yes, you can follow into righteousness living that way. And, and on my own, I'm sunk. But with God's power, what does one of the scriptures say? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So if we're wrestling with sin and we're wrestling with temptation and we're wrestling with the pleasures of the world that are short-term and don't last and are actually destructive in the long run, how can we move forward? You make the willing decision to live out what God has already provided. You are free from sin. You are not mastered by this. Then there's a willing sense of, okay, God, this is hard. I need help. I want help. Well, then get some Christian counseling Go to Teen Challenge, whatever it is. Let God move in that environment to help you move forward. But God has already delivered you. And you can live it out. And that also God has provided. Thank God for that. That's why Paul says, thank you, Lord. The result is they wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching. What's the form of teaching? Well, most likely, it's a contrast between the conditional covenant that Moses was receiving from God on the Mount Sinai. In other words, if you do good, you get blessed. If you don't do good, you get punished. And who could possibly do good enough to not be punished? It was a dead ender, really. It just highlighted sin. Then there's a new covenant, which we celebrate today with communion. Christ said, this is a new covenant, right? And that is unconditional, provided by God, for us. That is who we are in Christ Jesus. I love um, Titus. And that was the comparison, by the way, between works and grace. Titus 2, 11 to 14, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Right? And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. The glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us. Now, that's slavery language. Paid the price to set us free from slavery. Who redeemed us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. Who do you belong to? Jesus paid the price. We're recipients of grace. You didn't have to pay for it. You didn't have to achieve liberation from sin. You didn't have to achieve the ability to live for Jesus. God gave us all of that and the living Holy Spirit in us, right? And then it says, eager to do what is good. We're not duty-bound to do good, and we're not achieving our salvation by being good. The internal motivation says, I want to do what God wants me to do. And when I don't, it bothers me. Does it bother you? Yeah, it bothers me. Thoughts, attitudes, behaviors. Maybe I don't want to do what I should do. And, and, it, and it bothers me. And then God gave me a wife, and she bothers me. <laughs> because the Holy Spirit lives within her too. And I might be a little blind to it sometimes, but she'll say, shouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Couldn't you? And down inside I'm going, you know, I love her. Thank you, Lord, for another voice that speaks to me. I've got the word, 
I've got my wife, we have the elders, we've got the church, my children, all of these voices. God can work through all kinds of circumstances and people, but we need to listen, right? Not a one of us is perfect. Not a one of us has total control. But what do we want to do? Is my identity, I'm out of control, get used to it, this is who I am, or is my identity, yes, I sometimes fall flat on my face, yes, I sometimes say things I shouldn't say or think things I shouldn't think, yes, I'm a sinner periodically, but that is not who I am. That's the attitude that makes the distinct difference between someone who's a believer and someone who isn't. When they're not, they'll say, take me or leave it. This is who I am. Embrace it. And a Christian says, I am who I am in Christ Jesus, a son or daughter of the Father. That's family. And I'm so grateful for that. Philippians 1, 6b means a lot to me. How about you? It says this, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Who is going to finish the holy work in you so that when Jesus shows up or you meet Jesus face to face, you are now fully and completely holy and righteous in God's sight? Who's going to finish it? The Father brings you home. That is a great relief. So, yes, we're like kids sometimes, bucking and shoving and elbowing, and I don't want to, and I want my dessert first, and all the other things we might do. You know, we're still struggling with the flesh, you could say, as the biblical term would put it. Still our body parts are pursuing pleasures. The gravity, you know, is not, the spiritual gravity of our lives is not uphill, it's usually downhill. You know the word backslidden? That's because it's backwards. That's the gravity. Paul says you've got to have the will to understand you make a choice. It doesn't affect your identity, but it does affect our service and how the world sees our witness and how the world receives and believes the good news. We're role models. We're examples. We're not saying we're perfect. If they say you're a hypocrite, yeah, sometimes. I don't want to be a hypocrite. That's the work of the Lord in me. Humble, humble. God's going to finish the work. I'm, I'm grateful, aren't you? Then what about our imperative? Now, there's very rarely an imperative in Romans until you get to chapter 12. Chapter 6 is the only place you find commands. Everything else is like database. Here's the information. Only when you get to 12 do you get therefore. Imagine, 11 chapters of information. Then he finally says in chapter 12, now here's what you're supposed to do with all the information you received, all those 11 chapters. But in chapter 6, he just can't wait. He's, he just can't wait till the 12th chapter. He's, he's like, i got to say this right now. So there's an imperative here in that 19th verse, our imperative. I put this in human terms. In other words, I'm using the analogy of slavery because you're having trouble grasping the spiritual nature of who we really are. So he's using something they're familiar with. Because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, now here's the imperative. So now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. 
It's a willful desire to leave the congregation's worship service this morning with the full intent, God, I want to live for you, and I trust you to meet those pleasure needs that my brain demands. I trust you. That's where shalom is. It feels good to feel good. And that's what you find in Christ Jesus. So that's the imperative. If you're looking for a take-home, that is Paul's take-home. Make up your mind. Decide whom you will serve. You are set free to live for Christ. But you've got to make that decision. And the Holy Spirit will help you do that. And that's a daily decision. Not relying, you're not, your salvation doesn't depend on it, right? But your testimony and your own innate sense of well-being is affected by that. And Christ says, live in me and ask for help when you need it. Then fifthly is a reminder. Let's just say, for instance, someone says, yeah, but I like the good old days when I used to grab a hold of what the world offered and sought those pleasures in various ways. And I, I enjoyed that so much. Paul says, well, let's think about that. Here's our reminder, verses 20, 21. When you were slaves to sin, thinking back, you were free from the control of righteousness. You didn't care about what God wanted. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you now are ashamed of? Those things result in death. In other words, would you really want everybody to know all the things in your life that you did that were sinful? Would you be embarrassed? Would you be ashamed? Are there certain people you never want to meet again? Are there certain classes of school or whatever that you just don't want to go to reunion because there are some painful things attached or you'd be embarrassed? Paul is saying there's not a single one of us, if we're willing to look back on those old days, those old self days, that we wouldn't be embarrassed or ashamed of. Because it's destructive. It's harmful. We may have come through that. Sure, we believe in Jesus. We're set free. We're forgiven. But maybe others were impacted by what we did or said or didn't do, and they're still living in that situation, and we contributed to that situation, and it's embarrassing. And Paul says, think about it. Do you really want to go back to what is inherently destructive and actually leads others to death? You might live eternally through faith in Jesus, but do you want to help them in a positive direction or a negative direction? Do you want to contribute and speak like the world does and affirm what the world does, which is opposed to God, or do you want to live for God? It's a choice that a believer can make. There's a, a little rhyme that I found this week. It says this, I said a very naughty word only the other day. It was truly a naughty word I had not meant to say. But then it was not really lost when my, from my lips it flew. My little brother picked it up, and now he says it too. <laughs> now that's the stuff that kind of encapsulates what happens when we live into the world. It is messy. It's not just me and me, myself, and I. It impacts. It has an explosive effect. It has a cascading effect. It affirms things that God doesn't want affirmed. And we all get caught up in that sometimes. But we don't want to, not in Christ Jesus, and that's the difference. And so we aim willfully to honor Christ every moment of every day. That's a challenge, isn't it? 
When you wake up in the morning, Dom and I were talking, when we wake up in the morning, what does Dominic like to do? He likes to think about God and pray. Great, great lesson. Start the day God-minded. Live the day God-minded. And go to sleep at the end of the day God-minded. That's the where you find shalom and peace. And also, I know personally, when I have repented of my sins, I realized, man, it feels good to feel good. You ever felt that? It feels good to feel good. And that's all because of Christ Jesus. What a blessing. We don't want to lose that. Then what's our benefit? Closing it out now. Verses 22 to 23, our benefit. But now that you have been set free from sin by an act of God, and have become slaves to God by an act of God. In other words, we willingly serve the Lord because the Holy Spirit moves us to do this. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that amazing the way the 23rd verse just leaps out? Did you notice the distinct difference between the first part of the 23rd, the last verse, and the second part of the last verse? Your death is what you've earned. Your life, you didn't earn. Your works didn't do this. This is a gift to you and I from God. And again, it goes back to grace. So what, should we go on sinning so that grace can increase? Paul goes, ah! Because it just, it just makes no sense. To value grace is what Paul is after here. You've been set free from sin. You've become willingly obedient to Christ. You want to live it out. Even though we fall flat sometimes, we fall short, sure. But we want to. You are the most free when you're free in Christ. And the result is eternal life, not because of what we've done, but what God has done in Christ for us. And it's a sign that we believe and we belong. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I mentioned earlier, uh, who talked about cheap grace. I just want to tell you what he said about this cost of discipleship. He, he talked about this in a book that he titled that very thing the cost of discipleship. And there's a neat quote in here. He, by the way, was a German pastor, a theologian, who went underground in an underground church movement when Hitler rose to power. You may not know it, but Hitler was actually dispensing sermons to be preached at the pulpits. And Bonhoeffer wouldn't have any part of it. And he was a strong man of faith, and he was going to serve Jesus and not the darkness. And he eventually was imprisoned, and he was executed just days before the end of World War II because he absolutely refused to not serve Jesus. And this is what he wrote, and it's very powerful. Happy, I like that, happy are they who, knowing that grace, that God's given grace, can live in the world without being of it, who by following Jesus Christ are so assured of their heavenly citizenship that they are truly free to live in this world. Was Bonhoeffer able to live in the world when he was in prison? 
Yes. Was Bonhoeffer able to live in the world when they put a noose around his neck? Yes. Is Bonhoeffer alive today in Christ? Oh, yes. He knew whose he was, and he knew who he was. Was Bonhoeffer perfect? No. But was Bonhoeffer in Christ? Yes. And did he value grace? Oh, absolutely, yes. And that's Paul's message for us today. I'm going to close with uh, what oftentimes I was taught in Sunday school. Um, you go back to the Old Testament here. It's a choice decision that Joshua calls the people to make. And it's a powerful one in Joshua 24, 14 to 15. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. In other words, Throw away the old self. Throw away the things that you clung to that you thought would bring you pleasure, thought gave you purpose and identity and meaning and hope and all that in the old days before you came to Christ. That was Egypt, slavery. Throw it away and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, if that reflection back isn't cutting it, or maybe you've never come to trust Christ with all those needs, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. You're going to do it. You're going to serve the dark or the light, the Lord or the demonic, either way. Whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. Whose land are we living in? America's changing drastically, right? Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. The world needs this, and it honors God. But as for me, and my household, what does he say? Yeah, well, we will serve the Lord. Somebody, uh, somebody once said that dead fish can float downstream real well, but a living fish can swim upstream and bring life. Let's do the right thing. I want to do the right thing. I want to honor God, but we'll do it with humility, gentleness, respect, and when we know we need help, don't be afraid to ask for it. First of all, start with God. God, I want to live for you, but I need your help to do it. I know I'm free to do it. I need your power and equipping to help me do it. Find somebody that can be that soulmate with you, that can hear you and with trustworthy confidence engage in conversation and prayer with you. Uh, Jenny's kind of my soulmate, like I said. She's the Sometimes I call it holy, God's holy sandpaper, right? It's good, rubbing off those rough edges, and I can do the same for her, right? We trust each other. These are the things that I think it's not good for us to be alone. It's good to have somebody you can confide in. It could be me. I won't say anything. Or somebody you really trust, aside from myself. Find that person and trust those needs to them. When you bring it into the light, Satan flees. Trust me. Satan loves the darkness, loves the secrets, loves to keep it quiet. But if you bring it into the light, you'll find freedom much more readily. A liberated, feels good to feel good feeling that comes. It's awesome. Also, um, if you need some professional care and help, let me know. I've got some resources too. Sometimes those chains are mighty strong, but God is mightier yet. And don't forget Grace is greater than your sin. Praise God. You're never lost. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, what a wonderful message it is for us that 
We have choices. The world thinks that when we bend our knee to Jesus, we've lost our freedoms, we've lost our choices. And they rebel against that, not realizing how shackled up they are. They have no choices, only themselves. Lord God, we have such freedom in Jesus. We don't want to abuse it. We don't want to negate it. We don't want to be mindless. We want to honor you. We want to live for you. But we need your help to do it. We need your Holy Spirit's prompting. Lord, if we get off the mark, we pray that your Holy Spirit would convict us and help us, Lord, to step back into the step with the Holy Spirit, to trust Christ to meet our needs, to know that in this world we're going to have trouble. Yes, but Christ has overcome it. Thank you, Lord, for eternal life. And that life means life today. Help us, Lord God, to live out which you've already given us by your grace. And thank you that we are your family, brothers and sisters alike, dearly loved by you. Thank you for grace. In Jesus' name, amen. On the night that Christ was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks to the Father, he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Grace is all over this, given for you. As often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took a cup and he said, this is a a new covenant. Now, that's that unconditional, I've saved you, no one can take you from my hand statement. New covenant, sealed, guaranteed in my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. As often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. Isn't it wonderful to have the grace of Jesus Christ in your life? Isn't it wonderful to know that even on your worst day, you are who you are in Christ? You cannot outstrip God's grace. This morning, I pray that all of us will sit back for a minute and appreciate how wonderful that grace really is and powerful too. Let's just take a moment now and pray. Bow our heads. Whatever's on your heart and mind, bring that to God, and then we'll come to the table. Father, thank you for the gift of life you've given us in Jesus. And thank you for our brothers and sisters here gathered and around the world this morning. We're thankful that you are our Father, that you've called us with the wonders of your grace to receive and believe the good news of Jesus who died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, all of them, constantly purifying us, Lord God. Thank you so much. And thank you that when Christ rose from the grave, that guaranteed our eternal life. And we look forward to seeing Jesus face to face and that you will finish your holy work in us, that we will be right with you, not just in an announcement, a declaration, a decision that you've declared over us, but Lord, we would truly, truly be right. Holy people, that day will come by your power. We pray, Lord God, that this morning, if we've been clinging to things, 
trusting things that are of Egypt, the old slavery, the old self, things we once knew, relied on, trusted. Lord, we know that thinking back, those were not healthy decisions. They affected others negatively. They affected relationships, our health. They affected our spirit. And Lord, we pray now that your Holy Spirit would lead us into right living, that we could choose wisely to know your will and to do it. And we thank you, God, for your patience with us and for the leading of your word and spirit in our hearts. May our hearts and minds be united as one in Christ Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Um, As you're ready, come on down the aisle in two lines. We've got the bread and the cup here, and then a receptacle past that. You can eat it, take a drink from the cup, and then celebrating. This is a meal together. Um, I'm not going to use a taco chip, breaking that, because that wasn't quite right, was it? They didn't have taco chips. They had matzah. But let's face it, this is a meal. This is a meal with Jesus. So if you love Jesus, come on down and eat with Jesus and one another as a family around the table, all right? That's the spirit of communion. So come as you're ready. Come and celebrate. There's a little bit of gluten-free here in the middle, if you like. Your love. 
Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And may the love of the Father and the sacrificial grace of Jesus and the wonderful eternal fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. And all of God's beautiful people could say, Amen. Now, go down and snap a taco together. Come on down to the fellowship hall. Enjoy yourselves. Have fun. It's all there laid out for you. Thank you for all those that volunteered to put it together. God bless you. Yes. Do it.